Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Near and Queer to My Heart podcast. I'm your host, Amanda G. We are back. I know we took a few months off to live a little life, get some new recordings for y'all, meet some new folks, bring something back to share with our podcast community. And we are so excited for this next episode. This is a local musician, local New Orleans native, Eva Lovulo. Eva has a band of the same name, Eva Lovulo. Right before we recorded this, uh, the band was about to embark on their first tour. Uh, Now that this is released, they are back from tour. So if you're in New Orleans, they're performing all over. Check them out. They're probably about to do another tour. So if you're not in New Orleans, also check them out. They're on Spotify, everywhere you listen to music. They're there. I was really excited. Uh, Eva and I didn't know each other before this but like we immediately just got right into it of course talking about my red and green mic covers very important topic for two Jews who notice those colors in combination all the time but yeah it was just it was such an easy conversation Eva was so lovely let's not wait any further let's get to it let's get to Eva Lovulo God, someone gave me these mic covers that are supposed to help with the background noise, but I don't know how Christmas true that is. Vibes. Yeah. I was like, really? These are the colors, bud? <laughs> You're like, to a Jew, you would give me these colors? Where's my I blue, know. Where's but... my blue and white covers? <laughs> and on Yom Kippur of all days. Yeah, truly. <laughs> but, you know, it's like, you can't look a gift horse in the mouth. Yeah, yeah. I always feel like I mess up sayings, but that's the one, right? You can't look a gift horse in the mouth where I'm like, thank you for like thinking yeah. of me and my podcast and bringing me these mic covers. And then it's like, oh, the color. I don't like those colors. Yeah. <laughs> I've never heard that saying, first of all. But second of all, you can't, you know, you can't request the different colors for the, yeah. <laughs> the mic covers. Yeah, for sure. Great. Mic covered. <laughs> <Intro>. Covered. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for doing the podcast. I guess uh, to start, I know you're a musician and I don't know if you want to just uh, talk a little bit about, cause I, I listened to your albums on Spotify. That's awesome. What I, Thank that's you. What I, that's what I was doing um, the last streams. couple days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get the, get that two cents. It's like point one. Point zero zero one cents per stream. <laughs> I've seen no money from Spotify. I was always wondering that because I, if my friends put out like stand up albums mm. or like local artists that like I go see, and then I'm like, oh, this is awesome. I'm gonna listen on Spotify on repeat, and hopefully they're getting some yeah. money. And you're like, well, just listen ten thousand times, right. and I'll get a dollar, maybe five million, <laughs> and I might get five dollars. Yeah. But no, it's, I mean, the thing is, is like, unfortunately, it's Spotify won the clout game, and therefore it's like the easiest user experience. So I constantly default to like sending people to Spotify because if you get enough streams, then you'll get on playlists, which then means you'll potentially make one 
like drop in the bucket of the music industry (laughs) yeah but you also have to have it out there for when people see you live and then if they go on spotify and they don't see you on there you're right they won the clout game yeah where they're like you're not even on spotify Um, the the funny thing too is that whenever i tell people on spotify especially when i was like first starting out they'd be like oh you're on spotify you're official and i'm like (laughs) i don't know if i should tell you that you can just pay ten dollars to this distribution (laughs) website to get on spotify you don't need to like go through any don't tell them (laughs) i I swear that part out yeah yeah (laughs) People think I'm uh, legit. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Like uh, in 2019, I put out like a stand-up thing on YouTube and my, like the older people in my family are like, you're on YouTube? (laughs) Like it's called YouTube. Yeah, yeah. It's like, where do people think, (laughs) what do people think you have to do to get onto these platforms? I don't know, but they're impressed and I don't take it away from them. It's true. I should just be like, thank you. Yeah. I am on Spotify. It was really hard to click those buttons and give them my credit card. And they gave me the verified check mark when they realized that I'm a real person, (laughs) which I just validated. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, I am on Spotify and Apple Music and Tidal and Deezer and all of the platforms. Yeah, I never know all the things because that's why I like with the podcast. I'm like, you could just find us on all everywhere you get podcasts because yeah. I'm on them. But I don't know like Deezer and iHeartRadio. I'm like, I don't know how all these things work. I don't either. But usually, yeah, when I first I see and hear podcasts, they're always like, wherever you can find podcasts. And I'm like, great. So Spotify. Yeah. Um, so you sing, mm-hmm. you play guitar. Mm-hmm. What else? So, what other instruments? When did you start? Were you like one of those kids that like you were just born and you were singing? Um, yeah, and your parents were like, look at, look what, look what my, our, uh, our kid can do. Came out of the womb screeching <laughs> about sad breakup songs. No, I, my dad's a musician. So um, I started playing actually Cajun music in his band. He's a Cajun musician oh, based awesome. here. And we had a family band growing up, which at the time I thought was really lame. And every time I'd have to like not go to a high school party to go play at Mulat's <laughs> Cajun restaurant and dance hall, I was like, man, this is fucking lame. And then. What were they called? Bayou DeVille. Okay. It was the band. We played at Jazz Fest and French Quarter Fest and um, played around a little bit. And I started playing bass in that band, but I've always also been into classical music. So I started playing violin when I was really young and then played classical cello for decades. So I went to New Orleans Center for Creative Arts for cello, classical cello. And that was my main instrument for a long time. But actually around Katrina, I started playing guitar and got really into like sad boy music, <laughs> like Elliot Smith, Jeffrey Lewis, oh. just like Nick Cave, like the Smiths. Yeah, like. just get really getting into it and started writing my own songs, mostly as like a cathartic outlet for how like, yeah, alienated and weird it was to be in a different place. And now I'm in a band called Eva Lavulo, which is my name. <laughs> my mom's last name, Lavulo. My my science name is Eva Frischberg. Oh, okay. Because um, that's actually my, my, my... I see why you chose one over the other. <laughs> yeah, I get a lot of shit from it, from, from my uh, Jewish community. But um, most of my sad girl parts are from my mom and I feel like my um, ability to support myself and organize Excel spreadsheets is from my dad's side of the family. <laughs> so yeah, so that's Eva Lavulo. Play guitar in that band. I sing. I write. Um, we just released an EP. We had the EP release last night at Saturn Bar, actually, which was really fun. And we're about to go on tour tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad we caught you before then. Um, so how old, how old were you um, in 2005 when Katrina happened? Yeah, so I was about... Oh, I was think I was about eleven. I just started sixth grade. <laughs> okay, so you were already you were already playing live shows. How yeah. old were you when you started that? I started playing with my dad's band when I was like six years old on the little triangle and like <laughs> singing traditional Cajun songs. And without my parents are both artists, so without 
adequate childcare. <laughs> um, I ended up just like living on Bourbon Street with my dad <laughs> playing music and, and basically started playing bass in that band because my brother went to college and so he needed a bass player and like, he's like you're up <laughs> yeah he's like you can do these two things right just two fingers moving back and forth and I was like I got you so yeah I started performing really young and started performing my own music basically as soon as would people would let me <laughs> what was that like like being six years old and being I get like at, I'm assuming bars like yeah. at, in a different environment than most the average six-year-old I won't say <laughs> most but I, I could say the average six-year-old was probably doing and also like being in front of people and performing like that was something like that was in your blood or was that something that like you're like this is what our family does or was it you know like you just didn't know you're like this is what everybody does yeah I think I think at the time it felt you know because we went to we were like kind of in like a pretty hippie commune of artist musicians growing up in mid-city everybody's parents were artist musicians and so I was like this is how everybody is like we all share childcare and like responsibilities and also all of us are constantly being like carted around to music festivals or this and that and so it was kind of the norm but it was weird to like kind of hold that space and and always be like perceived and on stage and have to just kind of like also watch my dad perform constantly and be gone a lot but it made me really comfortable with being on stage musically but not in any other capacity <laughs> like I de definitely don't like public speaking but it definitely like kind of made me addicted to also just like the magic that comes with like being able to move people you know like with Cajun music the like it's like impossible not to have people like dance to it yeah. and so seeing just like even little kids or like families that come into a restaurant or like a bar and like a bad mood and then shift that mm. it's just like I think actually performers get to view more than the person looking at the performer it's just so cool to watch people's like moods change and I feel like that kind of magic I became really like addicted to and, and never wanted to like give up and then being able to do that in different contexts like playing in orchestras growing up and like the you know power of just being like immersed in like music is just yeah it's been a part of my life that I like could not give up so you always knew music was your path or were there other paths you were like were you an avid soccer player <laughs> as well or was it just music 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 no my curse is that I I like to be mediocre at many things <laughs> and so are I'm you always, a Gemini <laughs> I I love Gemini's but I'm a Taurus okay so I also love my rest which is why I don't you know don't love to like practice 12 hours a day but this was the the issue is that I you know played... I'm a Gemini by the way that's why mm. I said that because we like to know a little bit about a lot of things yeah I'm not saying that we're Gemini's are mediocre I'm just like we just can't sit still basically so yeah you learn something and then you're like I'm gonna learn this other thing before I finish learning this other thing yeah totally I love Gemini's I, I constantly <laughs> am in close friendships bands or relationships with Gemini's well that's part of our charm <laughs> yeah you really do you know how to do it all we will lure you in <laughs> yeah truly and then keep you yeah <laughs> forever make you scared to leave <laughs> yeah basically <laughs> um yeah no I I had a lot of different interests. It was really hard, actually. When I went to NOCA, I started as a visual artist, and I switched to media arts because I really liked the whole recording process. Then I switched to cello, and then I'd be, like, hanging out with all the jazz kids doing, like, jazz cello, and then I'd be doing classical stuff and bailing on my, like, you know quartet rehearsals but then I was also really obsessed with like academia specifically psychology and got really into that and so it's been really hard to figure out like the right balance and when I went to college I decided actually like because I was so burnt out on classical music and so burnt out on gigging all the weekends playing all week uh, and doing soccer <laughs> caught, caught me as a soccer player um I was like I need to take a little break and um I yeah I like took a break from music for a little bit and just focused on like 
the liberal arts agenda <laughs> and became a really annoying existential philosophy 18 year old <laughs> and then ended up going to into a career in science so my the way I pay the bills is like behavioral science or human-centered design and data science and stuff like that and so I did that for a lot of years kind of keeping up with the music still playing for myself and playing out but just decided like I couldn't take the plunge post-grad to you know be a broke musician sleeping on my friends couches and I really liked that 401k salary that yeah. I was getting and and then yeah and now I'm finally actually like quit my big girl job um, and I'm like kind of full force jumping into the music thing again oh, so you did later. take the plunge yeah I yeah. moved back to New Orleans from Brooklyn where I was living for like five, four or five years and yeah I had this like job that I was working remotely over COVID and kind of the combination of a lot of different things. I was like, I met this band that I'm in now and it just like was really working out really beautifully. And one of the musicians that I play with sometimes who co-produced my album, Katie Martucci, she's like, probably my favorite musician ever and she was like I want to make an album with you and she came down and I was like if Katie Martucci thinks that I can do music I can do music yeah. <laughs> so I I decided to quit my job and um, now I just do some part-time consulting with with science stuff but I'm trying to really just like make the music thing happen I like science stuff <laughs> yeah hashtag science stuff yeah that's always been so I'm 39 um right now and you know we were talking before the show I've been at my job I graduated school at uh, 25 and then I've been at the literally started that job have been there all the way through and mm. and as you know with my stand-up comedy like the longer I do it the more I'm like should I take this plunge but yeah. I'm always too scared to do it because I, I like health insurance yeah and, and I don't know what I'm scared, you know, I'm obviously a lesbian who's 39, so I'm definitely in therapy. <laughs> um, and I've been talking about it with my therapist. She's like, what are you scared of? And I'm like, I don't know. I just can't do it. So whenever mm. someone actually does it, and it sounds like it took some years for you to like really decide to do it. But I mean, I'm assuming it was a little scary, but it sounds like you're in a good place. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're... we're Get, about to embark on our first tour so check in after <laughs> and see if we lost money or made money but no I, it's it is definitely scary and honestly like you know I don't think we we are necessarily in a society or an economy that supports full-time art and that really sucks um for for a lot of people and who knows if I can ever do it where I'm like not working any hours at a you know science job <laughs> um and I also love it it's hard yeah. to give it up but definitely is like scary to take take that plunge and I think I'm really lucky to have like a community here especially like my partner and and my family that are like really like if you fail at this you can move in yeah. <laughs> with us and you know like being willing to not have health insurance for a little while and not have mm -hmm. savings and just kind of like take the plunge but in some ways I actually think the last few years of just like you know what's happening in the world and realizing just like how how short and scary it is to like live in this world I was like well I might as well not be you know letting fuel motivate my actions like I might as well and I'm lucky that I don't have like kids to support right now and I don't have elderly sick parents or anything yeah yeah I mean I have two cats which uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah that's a full-time job it, right there. It, it is you know um it, it, it makes it a little harder to travel but, yeah yeah <laughs> there's only so many friends that are like I will clean your cat's litter for a week while you're gone um yeah <laughs> but have you felt like creatively like something clicked differently like once you made that decision like was there some sort of freeing that's what I always imagined in my head I'd like quit my job and I'd go to comedy full-time and I would feel 
like this freedom, you know, and this creativity that I'd never felt before. Is that is that true? Or am I like romanticizing that in my brain? I think I'm sure I that has actually come recently, but I quit my job quite a while ago now. <laughs> and I feel like it was nothing but like regret and existential oh no, fear and, and like, what am I doing? Am I good enough to do this? And also from not focusing on music full time after being like a very competent, like trained musician for a long time, then taking a break, I was like, shit, I'm not that good anymore. So I really have to like work at this again. And I don't have the dedication that a teenager did. And so I think there was like a moment of like not having fun doing it for a while. But all of those like gigs that I was playing and like feeling like, I don't know, stressed to have people come out and support me and wondering if this is the right thing, but keep like putting one foot in front of the other and like pushing it and like reaching out to people and sending my music out and emailing a million labels mm-hmm. and practicing with different people and trying to see if I could get the right thing together. I feel like after a year of sort of like that experimentation, I'm now and like last night's show was the first time that I got to play with like the full band of people that you know live in different places but happen to come down for the ep release and i was like this is what i've been waiting for like yeah. this is the bliss yeah i saw the uh i saw the insta stories and it looked like a lot of fun yeah um for those who haven't been to saturn bar i lo- i took my mom to saturn bar once nice. and she's like what is this place That's I, a great I, lo- question. <laughs> I love it like it might collapse at any point in time but when people it- go up on the balcony yeah. i'm like please get down <laughs> please um, yeah uh, but it's it's got it's a, like it's a small space and it like I feel like the space kind of hugs you in a way mm-hmm. and it just feels like it just feels so like I love dive bar feels yeah. um, and it just feels like so you know warm and there's like a certain energy in that space so yeah. like that was the probably the right space to choose for for your release yeah I've seen so many good shows there but like every time I see a good show at Saturn Bar you can tell that it's like a room full of close friends of the person playing and whoever happens to be getting a drunk on getting drunk on like a Tuesday night and somehow that yeah that intimacy and the closeness and the lighting and the dark dunginess of it it's just like so it's so perfect and I think for our particular sound which is like guttingly like delicate like breakup or grief or trauma dumping basically mixed with like some rocking out catharsis it's kind of like the perfect perfect space for that yeah yeah I guess I guess you kind of described your music a little bit but if you had like like two or three words to like yeah not to put you in in a category or a box but you know for those who haven't heard you yet um would it just be like sad girl sad world yeah (laughs) Uh, which is your that's not my phrase that is yeah the the t-shirt sad girl sad world brand I think it's I think it's like the the words that I've heard recently that I've liked are like breakup bops and kind of like heartbreak <laughs> anthems. I think, you know, I think our music really just kind of like, I know you're only asked for a couple words, yeah, <laughs> describes no. just like, yeah, the pain of like growing up and being authentic and like fighting imposter syndrome and fighting this like insecurity. And I feel like it's really like my songwriting is cathartic for me to just like spew out all the toxic shit that our brains are constantly telling us about like our bodies not fitting the right like aesthetic and our like jokes being dumb and falling flat and like never being loved enough mm-hmm. and all of this stuff. And it's just like somehow that stuff that feels so toxic for me and I need to get out or else I would go crazy in addition to having therapists. <laughs> Shout out to yeah. Anna. Um, I think that is like really resonates with a lot of people. And it, that's why I think, you know, it's like people are, you know, connecting with it because it's just 
all of us feel that way. Yeah, I I I enjoy I related a lot to, to a lot of the songs like Mom's House. Mm-hmm. Um, like that definitely like struck a, a chord with me. Um, but yeah, I relate to all that stuff because for me personally, like I feel all those things, but I don't always know how to mm. express them. Um, and sometimes, you know, in stand up, I'll tell a quick joke. Like mm-hmm. I'll tell a 20 second joke about a five year relationship, you know. Yeah. But it's like I didn't delve into that and I'm making a, a, a joke to kind of like find something positive. That's why I like um, break up bops. Yeah. Bops is like a, you know, a positive yeah <laughs> or anthem like those are you know uh what i would consider more positive you know words and spins on things and that's what it is like yeah some sad shit happens in life i was actually just talking with someone about this on text last night and i was like i tell jokes at the most inappropriate times yeah to other people but to me they're the most appropriate right. times because this is the moment where something yes something terrible has happened mm-hmm. we can't change that that happened mm-hmm. we can choose how we deal with it now and we can choose to acknowledge it and you know i don't make jokes like to like someone died and i'm like oh that stupid bitch like i'm not like that but it's like just to relieve the tension or provide in my way that's how i provide comfort or try to provide comfort it doesn't always it doesn't always work and i feel like you know a lot of your songs you're kind of doing that in a way um for yourself but also hopefully for the audience yeah yeah i mean i think i think you totally have a spot on like if you're you can basically, it's like a processing tool, you know? And if you're funny enough, you can say some petty shit. (laughs) And if you're good enough at music, you can say some really fucked up mean stuff too. (laughs) And I feel like that I get surprised too. And like, that's been the most shocking thing to me is like, my songs are deeply personal and deeply just processing tools for me. But when people in my band kind of like create these melodic lines around them and really connect with them and sort of make them versions of them that I'm like, oh my God, this is exactly what this song should be. And then people in the audience will tell me like that just like, brought up so much stuff and like helped me like the number one feedback I get when I play shows is people will be like I'm so sad thank you <laughs> and I'm like I'm sorry that I brought that up for you but I also you're welcome I yeah guess. you're like I guess you're welcome so yeah it's definitely like I warn people before the show is like <laughs> this is some sad stuff if you're not in the mood to really get down yeah like if you just took a bunch of acid yeah maybe not the show <laughs> you for thought you. you were gonna be rocking out (laughs) yeah but the thing is when you have like you know women singing harmony and some like tasty guitar licks i feel like you can also make it whatever you want it to be you know yeah yeah absolutely um so i want to go back uh so you said you were 11 when Mm -hmm. katrina happened yeah what was that um and not to bring up trauma um, (laughs) at at all but i i think you know uh, for a lot of at least the uh, folks i've talked to Mm -hmm. um on the podcast and also in real life that just went went through that it was such like a pivotal moment um for a lot of people it was the first time they ever left new orleans period it was the first time they ever lived somewhere else and i think you might have been younger but i know a lot of folks that were in high school Mm -hmm. left their like went somewhere else to go to school college went somewhere else weren't with their families weren't Mm -hmm. you know didn't know if their house was like there was all these all this stuff going on um so i do think it's like a pivotal moment in like the timeline of you and how you got to where you are but if it's something that you're like i don't want to relive this shit i completely understand no i mean i think it's so it's so true and like actually as i'm thinking about it when you're just describing it i think i went from being like happy girl happy world to sad girl sad world because of (laughs) katrina in a lot of ways but it was a really yeah like pivotal moment just in terms of like 
I think really the reality is, is like nothing is guaranteed. People are fallible and everything is unpredictable. That is just like the reality. Mm -hmm. But I think when you have to be introduced to that fact really young, it causes just like a lot of turmoil and a lot of like anxiety about, you know, trusting anything. And Katrina sort of like actually started just like a series of like, wild things in my life like i we evacuated we lived in lafayette for a few years and outside of lafayette in the country and it was both like really hard to be yeah just like constantly in the unknown and having like two parents as musicians like i mean one musician one artist there wasn't a lot of like you know backup plans you know we were kind of just like flying by the seat of our pants and in some ways like it made me really love lafayette but i also just like felt so alienated and so different and so like confused and uncomfortable about what was going on I also was like a pretty um weird kid you know and was really going through like the uh the worst phase when (laughs) Katrina hit I was like I just kind of like started to feel more comfortable starting sixth grade and then we had to evacuate like I was just starting to get friends and has switched schools a lot and having to leave after starting to feel established and comfortable and start all over again at a different school where everyone was like Christian and had like straight hair (laughs) it was just like a very (laughs) different experience and then you know my family had to like separate because my dad had to come gig in New Orleans as soon as it opened because of like money and my brother and my dad came back and we were living in Lafayette and you know, music was really like a necessary outlet for me at that time, but it it really like prompted just like a decade of sort of like chaos. You know, my mom got sick um, also, like got cancer o- through like Katrina basically oh, wow. and sorry. passed away when I was in high school. And then there was just like, you know, it was just, it was a wild time where I feel like I didn't really get my footing until probably like 20 years old <laughs> from 12 11 to 20 yeah that's the because that's interesting like as soon as new orleans opened up like me i know a lot of musicians um, artists Mm -hmm. came right back to the city and that was like a better option for them to even post katrina new orleans was like a better option for them to make money and and do their art yeah i think artists really you know it's hard right because it wasn't a very livable city for a long time but musicians and artists had to come back but i think in some ways also that's what brought new orleans back is like the fact that art was still here people came back and rebuilt it because rebuilt because they had to yeah well thank you for sharing like i said i know i know that sometimes it's like these are difficult periods but i i you know i think that they're important um how long like how long before you came back i came back like a couple years after um yeah I, i guess i like left right before sixth grade and came back for eighth grade and so yeah it was a very it was still pretty like we lived in Gentilly at the time and it was pretty empty as a mm-hmm. neighborhood. We we like were one of the one, few houses that didn't completely flood. And so it was really weird to like go on like runs <laughs> in high school and just be like surrounded by houses that hadn't been gutted for years and years. But I remember just feeling like the whole time I was in Lafayette, I was begging my parents to bring me back to New Orleans. And the minute I got back, I was like, this is where my home is. This is where I belong. This is where my people are. And yeah, and then I also just like got super into like making a band and like (laughs) playing music all the time too because I was like 
felt finally like comfortable again in that space but it was cool too because the time that I was away I was like really working on um learning guitar and learning how to like support my voice and songwriting and stuff and so it was cool to have a place to practice all of those skills when I got back yeah absolutely I was just thinking so my my brother is a musician in Los Angeles Mm. and I was just thinking like his band started when maybe junior high I don't remember um definitely in high school he had a band and they didn't really have the options to like play places, you mm-hmm. know, like number one, LA gives a shit if you're underage. Yeah. Um, in a way that I New don't Orleans know, if, not. like, especially from what you've told me. Yeah. Um, New Orleans doesn't. And and number two, any gigs they played, like they had to basically sell to like it was a bringer show. Yeah. Essentially, where like they could go if they sold 20 tickets or if one of their parents paid $200 right. or whatever. So like for you being in New Orleans, like you had these options that like weren't always available everywhere else. And that's really cool, like for you to, you know, be able to to grow that part of you. Yeah. Yeah. I remember having like um, my first like big Christmas present or Hanukkah present (laughs) where we're Jewish, Jewish Catholics kind of um, was put a pin in that. Yeah. Yeah. Let's not revisit that one. Um, The family will listen and be like, which one do you want? (laughs) Pick Um, one now. Yeah. (laughs) Loyalties. You know, they they both care a lot about loyalties to those groups. (laughs) Yeah. It was like a recording session at Piety Studios, which is no longer around, but it's really sick recording studio in the Marigny. And I remember I made the CD and I was like just trying to sell it to kids at the carpool line at Noka (laughs) out of my backpack. I was just like, yo, you want some of this good Mm. shit? Like listen to this stuff. But it was so cool because, you know, there was like the neutral ground, there was the big top, there was all of these places that were like all ages and anyone could play at. And then also just like over Jazz Fest, I would just play on the Blue Bridge for tips all the time. Like I was just constantly this like, you know, kid with bangs in my face when Ramones t-shirts trying to like get people to pay attention to me. But there is such an environment of like young artists can run this city and they do. Like kids I went to high school with at NOCA, especially jazz musicians, were like cleaning up Yeah, at an early age because the brass bands, you know, and I played like a bunch of weddings and string quartets and it's just like it's such a nurturing place till it isn't for some people (laughs) um to be a a practicing musician at any age but it is a place where you can actually make a living as a musician yeah in a way that i don't i don't i think it if you it might be harder in other cities um, because they're not as supportive there's definitely certain genres too like as a jazz or a cajun or a swing musician like and when I quit my job, I started actually playing in a Cajun band because that's how I know how to make it's money. Roots. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I could do this anytime, any day. Uh, same three chords and different or- <laughs> organization. But it is really hard, I think, to be a songwriter and make money anywhere, but especially mm. in New Orleans because we just don't have the tourist economy for it. And so like figuring out how to have the right balance of like bluesy, jazzy covers and like playing enough Cajun gigs to pay the bills while also, you know, making people bear witness to my sad girl world <laughs> is like something I'm still figuring out. And there's some really good artists here that, you know, have figured out. Julie O'Dell, she just moved, uh, Micah McKee, Sarah Burke. They're just like really great songwriters who figured it out, but uh, I'm still I'm still learning. <laughs> what was the, uh, do you remember the first song you ever wrote? I remember the first song I ever wrote I also remember the first rap I ever wrote, which is really <laughs> embarrassing, but it's always in my head. And it's basically about like society being corrupt. I was like 10 years old. <laughs> I really had had a pulse. Yeah. I had a finger on the pulse. But I think I wrote this song actually when I was like six years 
yeah, I was probably five or six about home. And I only remember it because it was like I was typing it out on like the earliest version of Word on my dad's computer with him. And I don't remember how it goes, but mm-hmm. it was just basically about how much I loved home in New Orleans and specifically my street in Mid-City, no. <laughs> which was Pitch Loop Place, which is cl- close to Blue Oak now. But it was like, yeah, it was it was probably not a banger but you know <laughs> i remember it fondly like you never know true i'll have you to find it on the pull hard it back drive out. we can do a remix oh my god you can always mix it into something else oh yeah a little pop version yeah so you graduated noca mm-hmm. when then you went to college somewhere else or do you stay here for college i yeah it was a whirlwind i like there was this um scholarship foundation called posse which like sends a group of like 10 kids from public school it doesn't sound real yeah i know it doesn't right you can look it up after the show um but it it basically had its like first year in new orleans and my cousin's friend told me about it and i was like a little bit of a um problem child in high school i made good grades but i uh didn't like you selling your cds during tests like i was reckless i definitely we start young in new orleans you know i was like a party child i started partying very early and um i tried to really make everybody at high school think that i was very cool and the guidance counselor was not a huge fan so basically the scholarship foundation required that you nominate your or you get nominated for it like by someone who works in the community or your guidance counselor and i requested to be nominated but nobody would nominate me so i called the scholarship fund and nominated myself several (laughs) times and i was like i really highly believe in eva frischberg as a candidate and they were like just show up to the fucking interview like stop calling us and so i did like drove myself to this interview and It was like a five-month process. It started out with like hundreds of kids, but I ended up getting it. And it was the only way I was going to go to college because um, I had, you know, no money. But basically, they had two partner schools, Tulane or Bard in upstate New York. And I ended up choosing Bard because I was like, New Orleans is too much right now. I got to go live in the woods, um, in the snow. (laughs) And so I ended up going to college out there, which was such a culture shock. Where is it near? Like what city? It's like near poughkeepsie but two hours north of new york city okay yeah i was like just for context yeah 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 it's a because you could say upstate new york it could be like anything anything could be buffalo could be niagara falls yeah it was it's like in the hudson valley technically but that's just like a real estate agent's Mm -hmm. buzzword for yeah (laughs) my mom's from sullivan county i don't know if that's near there or not it's like an hour and ish outside of the city yeah two hours by i don't know i don't remember that sounds near i just know they're um it's near the Catskills. So I, I don't know. It was near the Catskills. Okay. I was like, I feel like that's the same area. But yeah. when I visited there as a kid, I had no idea where they were taking me. Just It all looks the same. There's some mountains in the back. Yeah. Beautiful farms. So Bard's like a small school. Yeah. It was like a very small school, like 1900. Extremely sad, poetic philosophy <laughs> types. Perfect. Um, yeah. It was perfect for me. And also a <laughs> bunch of rich kids who yeah. did, pretended not to be rich. And I did not know what i was getting myself into like they paid someone to rip their jeans yeah it, that is exactly the type it's like the richer they were the more they looked like they'd been sleeping you know in the hallway for the last week but it was it was a really cool experience because i got to meet a lot of other like amazing artists and got into some weird music i don't think i would normally like i got super into like electronic music and um was in these like synthy looping cello pedal groups and started my first like indie band there um because my band in new orleans when i was in high school was kind of like a yeah like folk pop 
Cajun influence thing. Um, and this was kind of a sad girl trio where we had like cello, <laughs> guitar, percussion, and we'd like drive around to different colleges and play in New York City and stuff. And that's really when I was like, oh yeah, this is what I want to be doing. And what were all your, your high school band? What was the name? I love band names. It's always <laughs> been my name, which is okay. narcissistic. <laughs> Eva Lavulo, I think it was at the time yeah it's always been Lavulo, which is interesting i was in some ska bands too that were like angry banana <laughs> like just embarrassing <laughs> stuff um and then in college it was bellwether which was unfortunate because apparently there was another band in like new haven that was called bellwether that had like a terrible scandal with the main singer and Ooh. so people kept thinking we were that band oh, and you're like not us and so we were like rejected from all kinds of circuits because they just like were like bellwether but yeah, it was not we heard us. about you <laughs> yeah yeah and it so. wasn't good not great you know you can't have men run bands it's the problem like it's really not i think they shouldn't run anything yeah like, it, I, it doesn't work yeah i'm like just cancel them all the music industry would work if it was run by yeah exclusively non-men yeah i i agree with that that's our new platform for this whole yeah, podcast this is the podcast We're shifting the whole the whole gear so after college um did you go i know you said you lived in brooklyn for a minute like yeah. did you go right to brooklyn did you try to come back here did you go to california <laughs> <laughs> yeah i wish i'd gone to california no i you were like i love winter yeah. where can i get more winter yeah where can i just be <laughs> sad and cold and lonely all the time <laughs> and have the art? weather match <laughs> yeah exactly see this is actually my issue with california no no hate on california my my partner's from los angeles i love visiting but i feel so not sad girl sad world enough in like LA and San Francisco I'm just like what do I write about I'm like getting enough vitamin d I'm going on hikes I'm eating avocados oh I feel fine I could yeah. just you know live like this yeah like I need some uh, suffering yeah you're like I feel too healthy yeah exactly I can't write you can't, you can't write about that I don't know how people make art I want a song there. about you being too healthy yeah exactly I mean I could do it but I mean, I'd make a joke now that I'm in like a securely attached relationship because of therapy that uh, the only thing I can write about now is like the possibility of losing it because <laughs> I just have no more, uh, no more sad girl heartbreak bops in me. But yeah, I, I actually decided when I was like upstate that I wasn't going to come back to New Orleans for a long time. I thought I was going to either move to California or, um, you know, stay in upstate New York for a while. And I got this job um, in New York that was like really incredible doing um, social impact work through the lens of like human decision-making science. And it was like everything I loved from college, like social psych, but applied. So it wasn't just studying like rich white kids in college settings. Yeah. It was actually like doing um, community involved work. And I worked really closely with the mayor's office and, and their different initiatives that they were running. And it was great. I lived there and worked um, in that world for like four years and also played music and like um got to collaborate with all of these people my <laughs> approach to music making at that time was like going on dates with people starting to create albums with them and then breaking up and <laughs> never getting those albums back yeah and so, then you could write about not getting those albums back exactly <laughs> i still want those albums back so if you hear this <laughs> Send them back. Know that I, my drive is open yeah. <laughs> for and those that files. You haven't forgotten. I have not forgotten about those songs. <laughs> but yeah, most of my music making was just like friends and collaborators that I would end up having weird flings with and never being able to um, perform. Yeah. <laughs> so what made you decide to to leave Brooklyn? Like, what was that? What was that journey? Yeah, I started to like feel kind of the um, pr 
pressure like new york is just a hard place to live and i think there are pockets of sort of the community and the warmth and the humanity that new orleans has in spades there if you are generationally wealthy or (laughs) have the time and energy to like manifest it but i just couldn't like i just saw myself being more and more like kind of immersed in sort of like the obsession like the workaholism and the like productivity culture and the busyness and like constantly trying to like get ahead at my job and like apply to other jobs and I was just like I had no time for anything and it was really just like wearing on me that I was also becoming kind of this like more vapid Instagram obsessed like cared about streetwear (laughs) culture and all this weird shit that I just never cared about and I was like I I think I and every time I would come home to New Orleans my best friend Grace had moved down here and she was working in climate justice and you know started this like food mutual aid food group and it was just like seeing her kind of like dig back into the place that raised us and like made us the people that we were and give back to this like city and then also like living in this communal house sharing meals every day like I ate every meal on the subway like on my way home from (laughs) from work and I was like dying because of it wherever you got it probably never made it fast enough no never (laughs) i feel like they'll give it to you in 10 seconds and you're like this could have been nine seconds yeah exactly like disgusting i got when i lived i lived in new york for a few years Mm -hmm. and i got very aggressive Mm -hmm. and i was like this isn't me but it it is me yeah but it's not the me it's not the me i want to be yeah and that was you know part of my impetus for like staying moving to new orleans but then staying here yeah you know it makes you a version of yourself that's like I know that I have to be this because I have to match everyone else's energy, but I don't want to be averting my eyes to everybody on the sidewalk. Yeah. Like when I moved back, Grace was like, you didn't say hi to anybody we just passed. And I was like, why would I? Yeah, you're like, they're just going to rob me or yeah. me. Or, or like spit on me. Yeah, I'm like, one too many things. Uh, that's what it is. It's like one too many things happens in New York. Like I always tell people a story. One time on the subway, like a homeless guy clotheslined me. Oh my God. He just walked by me, put his arm on like, paw- and I'm 5'2". This yeah. guy was like probably six foot. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what the fuck just happened? For no reason. Yeah. And so after that, it's like, yeah, I got a little mean. Yeah. And yeah, I avoided, you know, men mostly. Yeah. Um, or any situation where that could happen again because it happened. Um, and then, yeah, when you get here, you're just like, oh, people just want to say hi. Yeah. But you had, but you're on high alert because of experiences. Yeah. It takes like six months to a year, I feel like, to soften the icy exterior. Yeah. That we let have the to shoulders kind of relax a little bit. It's so real. The hypervigilance also, I'm like, this can't be good for my nervous system. I'm going to be like, having ulcers by the time I'm like 35 I can't I can't hang like yeah. can't do it I, yeah I remember one time I was on the subway I was like eating a salad which never should do on the sa- on the subway <laughs> and I was like it was open that's impressive yeah it was not the move it was it was late so whatever okay, but I was like the subway jerks a lot like. I know it was not working out well but you know sweet green and their $20 salads has to hold on me as a young person and this man was like smoking a cigarette on the subway normal normal stuff yeah sure totally and he was like fine. can i have some of your salad and normally if i wasn't that hungry i might have given it to him but i was like no man like i need this salad and he fucking ashed his cigarette in my salad and oh he was God. like basically none of us can enjoy oh, it fuck. and at that point i was like man yeah because you're like what do you like at that point what do you do you're yeah. just like okay I, I can fight him i can yell at him yeah. but just gave up yeah it's like it's not worth it yeah So the combination of New York wearing me down and then also COVID hit while I was kind of having this like radicalization of like, do I believe in this nonprofit's mission? Do I believe in anything anymore? Yeah. (laughs) Kind of was happening. And, um, and I was like, I got to get out of, I got to get out of New York for COVID. I don't think I could have handled it in that small of like a, you know, apartment. And so I moved back down to New Orleans or to Lafayette actually to move in with my dad. And I started 
you know, just being back in Louisiana, I was like warm. And I always like tell people too, that like, I feel like the most like authentic and also like interesting, attractive person in like Louisiana that in New York, I'm just full of, I'm like a walking self-doubt machine, you know? (laughs) And it's not like I don't have that here, but I just like felt like I belong here. I feel like familiar. And my friend Grace has been like trying to convince me to move back forever. And she won. I was like, yeah, let's move in together. Let's do it. Sounds like she wasn't wrong. No, I mean, she knows what's best for me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit. um, I know you're going on. You said this is your first tour. Mm hmm. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. I think you're going east. Yeah. So we're leaving tomorrow. I did some light Facebook stalking. Hell yeah. You only need Instagram a little. I post stalking. a lot. Yeah. So. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, you did a good job. Like artists should, it shouldn't make it hard to find mm-hmm. out what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in a non-creepy way. No, no, no. no. I mean, <laughs> I, yeah, I was thinking actually, cause I had this hashtag called thick thighs save lives on one of my TikToks, And then I got a bunch of followers oh. <laughs> really quickly. And I was like, I don't know if these are the people that I want knowing exactly what location I'm going to be at yeah. all over the country. But, but good to know that some hashtags work. Yeah. I feel like I throw in all these hashtags and I never get new followers. And I'm like, how are other people doing it? And it's you, like this thirsty ones. Yeah, it's got to be the thirsty ones. I guess I need more thirst traps. Yeah, you got to just like hit them with the thirst traps. The advice that music industry people keep giving me is like, yes to thirst traps. Stop with the political stuff. Nobody understands your Yom Kippur jokes. <laughs> and I'm like, OK, 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 OK. But I enjoy them. So yes. I'm not going to change. But yeah, we're going through Birmingham. We're actually playing. This got confusing because we played at Saturn bar last night. We're playing at Saturn in Birmingham tomorrow night. So a lot of people thought the show was tomorrow. So if you didn't come last night, I understand. (laughs) And then we're going through Asheville. Uh, Fleetwood's in Asheville. We're going to Baltimore, Philly, and then back to my home in New York, or first, second home in New York, which um, are the two locations that I used to play a lot, Rockwood and Pizza Candy Store. Oh, nice. And I'll get to see a lot of my old music collaborators and friends and yeah i have such a rich community there too that i'm really excited to see but really excited for our first tour it is a lot of work to plan a tour yes it is but i am in some ways i feel like everything happened for a reason because having worked in human-centered design right like i work with all of these like companies and governments to make things easier right to like make it clear what information you need to know to be able to act on a certain thing and and design a lot of websites and apps and products and so <laughs> i feel like that ability not to say i'm a pro at it because I'm definitely not has allowed me to like at least know a sense of like what email will be like most attention grabbing at the right time to be able to get people to come to my show so I'm constantly collecting data also on like what time I tell people to show which versus when they come and so like figuring out what time to actually go on to get the most number of people there so if you come know that I will be studying you (laughs) I love I need to do I need to do more of that. Like I, me and another comic are going, we're just going to like Atlanta, um, South Carolina, Alabama for a couple of days. And I get such anxiety mm. with the booking because I don't want to reach out to too many people because I don't want them to get back to me and potentially like be offered two shows at the same date at the same time and have mm. that stress. Um, and I don't want to reach out too soon or too late. Like it's just... That whole thing gives me anxiety, but you see it as like a recent, you're like, I'm going to study this and I'm going to master it. Yeah. Maybe I should look at it that way instead of like, I am so stressed about this, um, but I also want to travel and do shows. So yeah, I think a certain degree of like shamelessness, recklessness, Mm -hmm. and also like, yeah, science mindedness Mm -hmm. around it is necessary because whenever I think about the reality of I am asking people to bear my soul on their stage and them to give me money, I am paralyzed to do anything. Mm -hmm. But when I think of it in terms of like, me and thousands of other people are all trying to like just do our thing. I'm just gonna like relentlessly email people and like 
be nice about it, but just like yeah. see what sticks. <laughs> and that's how I've like gotten anything done is just like see what sticks. Yeah, absolutely. All I will ask you one more question and it's going to feel like it comes out of the blue, but I just I love this. So I'm like, uh, I'm Jewish. Mm-hmm. Like um, Ancestry DNA says 100 percent. Wow, like, look at you. you know, we were an isolated bunch for a very long time. Mm-hmm. But you say that you're like Jewish and Catholic. Mm-hmm. OK, which guilt is worse because you have the Jewish guilt, yeah, you know, and, and the Catholic guilt, and they're similar but yet different. Mm-hmm. Like I had a, a girlfriend that was raised very Catholic, yeah, and at first I was like, "Great, we both have these guilt issues, childhood trauma to share," mm-hmm. and then I was like, "Oh, yours are different." Yeah, totally different. I think the Catholic guilt because it was non-consensual because I was baptized Catholic <laughs> without knowing as a baby, yeah. Um, way to protect your soul yeah obviously obviously i don't want to take any chances with my soul <laughs> considering all the, all of my past demons yeah i think the catholic guilt in some ways is worse only because catholics have less fun and like jewish guilt is like something that i feel like we all just like can make fun of and we're always like joking about and there's a lot of just like camaraderie and yelling and you know yeah. i love <laughs> i love um jewish holidays 90 percent because of how much arguing there is <laughs> yeah but the catholics will just ha- hold a grudge for five years and not tell you why oh that's not fun no that's part of the part of the shtick yeah like, yeah like my uh my last girlfriend um when i brought her to like a family thing she's like all you do is yell at each other and i was like no we're just talking yeah and none of us it's were loving. mad we're yeah. just, it's like all friend everything is a friendly debate yeah it's Every- like make fun of me argue with me and i know that you love me yeah but the catholics are just like I know that my grandparents have an opinion about the fact that my partner's name is Elon Glickman, mm-hmm. but nobody wants to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what? Yeah, it's like, come on, this is like, pick on, talk about grab this. Talk about your feelings. Yeah. They also, yeah. It's, I think the Catholic Guild is worse, but I try not to participate in it so much <laughs> anymore. Yeah. Sometimes it's not your choice. It's like, but you know. I'm like, oh, let me call my mom and see how she's doing. And then it's like, oh, I didn't do things I was supposed to do, apparently. Yeah. And then you really will know about them. Yeah. The good thing with the Catholics is that if you decide to opt out of reading between the lines, you can pretend like everything's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Like if you decide that that text that's like, yeah, I'm happy to help isn't actually, (laughs) you should have like called me back 10, you know, 10 months ago when I wished you a happy birthday. Yeah. Then, you know, it's fine. The Jews in my family will just be like, why haven't you called me? Yeah. No, I know. It's like I was waiting by the phone. Would yeah. You know, yeah. wait for me to die before you call me? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Is the next time you visit going to be my funeral? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, damn. Yeah. Got him. There's that one. Uh, there's this one cartoon or this meme that was going around and it was like someone it was like they they were in a coffin and their mom walked by and was like, you're wearing that to your funeral. <laughs> That's so real. It's just, yeah. I was like, that just hit home. Yeah. All right. Well, let everyone know where they, I know this is going to come out. We're recording before your tour. Mm-hmm. We're going on tour tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, this is a recording, so I'm not going to have it edited and released oh, uh, yeah. before the tour. But by the time this comes out, you might have another tour or gigs so or, true. you know, let people know uh, where to, f- uh, we already made it clear Spotify, Apple music, mm-hmm. anywhere you listen to music. They'll find you, but um, social media tags, um, you know, where, where people can find you. Uh, thick thighs save lives, hashtag. <laughs> yeah, that would course. be the number one. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, the easiest way is Evil of Ulo, which is some people can't spell it. So E V A L O V U L L O on Instagram, Facebook. 
um, evilavulo.com. We have an email list. I know everybody's Ooh. trying to quit social media for the new year. So, um, are they? I mean, I think they are. Okay, I'm too old. <laughs> People's I don't like know what mental, everybody's doing. Mental health is, is plummeting. <laughs> I think they need a break from Instagram. I get it. Which, yeah, a lot of people don't show or like are like I didn't even know you were on tour and I'm like oh yeah you deleted Instagram that's why you've been my most healthy friend for the last <laughs> six months so if you want to subscribe to the email list it's there and yeah we're on Spotify Apple Music we just released new music we're going to be recording again in January so check out the the music awesome well thanks so much for doing the podcast and being part of the near and queer to my heart family yeah and uh, when me. you're back in town I'm definitely going to check out a gig oh yeah all right thank you thank you all right, we're going to say some quick thank yous. And then at the end of the episode, we will be playing Eva's song, Tried to Be Everything. Big thank you to our guest for sharing her world with you. Special thank you to Ryan Golub for creating our theme song. We'd love to hear from y'all. Social media with us, Twitter at Queer to My Heart, Instagram and Facebook at Near and Queer to My Heart. And the best way, it's free. Show us some love. Apple Podcasts, five-star rating, please. Thank you all so much. Here's Eva's song. Take care. Thank you.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.